Um, we are in Philippians chapter 3, continuing along in that journey. Um, Paul is after joy. We've said that each week. Um, but it's not just uh, uh, individual joy, it's communal joy. Paul's writing to a young church, not too unlike us, that he has helped plant. And he's writing them and says, listen, I found something. I found the secret. And you can have deep joy, contentment in the midst of really difficult situations. Um, so it's not so much I want you to have joy, though he does, uh, you and Jesus, but I want y'all collectively to have a joy, a joy that weeps with those that weep and re- rejoices with those that rejoice. That's a sign of a healthy church. We pray for that kind of joy. Would you mind standing one more time for us um, as we read? We're going to focus on verses 7 through 11 tonight, but we're going to read uh, 1 to 11 as we did last week, hear the word of the Lord from Philippians 3. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh... I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people, uh, on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but rather that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of from the dead. This is God's word. You may be seated. Wow. It's good stuff. Um, to be a Christian, you've you got to be good at math. Ugh, you know. Uh, you've got to be good at math. Um, I did okay, you know, I did okay at math in school, high school did okay, college I suffered through, you know, calculus and got through and I, you know, persevered but I didn't like it, I wasn't good at it, it wasn't natural, um, you know, I was more into English and literature and history, the soft sciences, you know, uh, I, I, and then it came into theology and philosophy, you know, but, but math, the science, that, that just wasn't my thing, it probably tells you something about me, um, but Christianity involves, uh, involves math. So, some of you love math. You love concrete numbers. Like it's manageable, right? It's objective. You can put it on a spreadsheet. We can nail it down. It's very easy. It's, 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 it's linear. It makes sense. Um, but Christian math is a little trickier than that. So um, it might give you a little trouble as well. Um, what am I talking about? Uh, look at the text with me here. Go to the next slide. Keep going. There we go. Verse 7 and 8. Just two verses to start with. Notice the language. Whatever gain I had, now loss. He goes on to say, gain, 
loss. I have counted, not once, but not twice, but three times. I've counted, that's math. And I'm trying to find something of worth. He says, he says this, but whatever gain, I now count as loss. He's doing a, a spreadsheet, uh, profit loss analysis. Uh, you know, John Garrett, you could probably explain this to me. There's some kind of template, and they're adding up all the assets and the liabilities. And he's trying to find, like, what's your net worth? Like, what's it amount to? Give me a number. I need to put something down. The IRS says i got to turn in some numbers. And so Paul's doing that with Christianity. He's doing that with his life. And for us math haters, that's a strong word, uh, this is not so fun because it's complicated. I, I will say if you're a skeptic today or you're not sure what you think about Christianity, this should be encouraging to you. Uh, because what Paul's saying is that our faith is not uh, like fly by the seat of the pants, you know. It's not like the, like the blind leap into the unknown. Um, there's faith involved, but it's calculated. It's reasoned. Um, it's thought through. It's prepared. I, I've, done the num- I've done the pro-con list. I'm, I'm sorting it all out. I'm trying to get very specific and detailed Paul's legal background in accounting is coming through. And so Christianity is uh, it's thoughtful, it's calculated. Um, Paul's going to say this. All these gains, and there's a lot of them in my family history, my, my pedigree, my performance, all these things line up here in this category. They're a gain, but now something's happened to where I took the gains... And they've come not just less than, they've actually become a loss. We're at the end of the year and we're in the red. I've had to write these things off as losses because I came up against one thing that was of supreme gain, and that was knowing Jesus, is what he says. It's weird math. There's a whole slew of things, and then there's one thing, and this one thing makes these things a loss. It's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You, you can't put a tag on it. You remember that commercial a few years ago? I think it was MasterCard. It was like, you know, father and son at the ball game, and, you know, two tickets, $35 each, you know, two hot dogs and two sodas, you know, probably $40 each, you know, the, uh, parking, $15, the big finger souvenir, you know, $10. Total price, go to the baseball game, $135. The experience priceless right you remember that and they did it with all kind of things it was priceless you could quantitate you could enumerate all of these things that fit well in the spreadsheet and then you bumped into jesus and you don't have a category for it. that's what paul's saying it's priceless there's two to put it in jesus language there's two proverbs i mean there's two parables they're a verse each so i'm going to read them to us that try to say the same thing matthew 13 you probably know these Listen to what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven, that's the kingdom of Jesus, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. Note the word treasure. Which a man found, and then he covered it up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has. They're a loss now to go and buy the field to get the treasure. It's Jesus' language. There's everything, and then there's the treasure in the field, and I'll take the treasure in the field versus everything. Verse 45, Matthew 13. Again, 
the kingdom of heaven, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one, there was just one, but it was of great value. He doesn't, he doesn't give us a number, but it was of innumerable value. He went and he sold all that he had. <laughs> sold the house, the car, the boat, everything, because he wanted the one pearl and he bought it. That's what Paul's telling us here. Paul's trying to help us to see it's all in Christianity. That's what he's about. Paul's telling this young church that he's learned something, that he's, his, his accounting has changed through the years, and that um, he now can count everything as a loss compared to Christ Jesus. That's, wow. That's, 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 it rolls off pretty easy. <laughs> I don't know that it's that easy to do. Um, maybe he can help us. Two things we're going to look at today. Uh, what are we to count as loss? And then how in the world are we to do it? Uh, what are we to count as loss and how are we to do it? What, what are those things we're to count as loss? Verse 7, Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. I went and did the numbers. I counted them as loss for the sake of Christ. Notice they were gain. They're not incidental. They're not like secondary things. That's not a big deal. That's not important. They were, they were important. They were gains, and they got moved into the loss column. He would later say, I suffered the loss. It was painful for him. Something better. What are those things for Paul? Verse 5 and 6, we read last week again today, things he enumerates. His, his pedigree, his history. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm, the, I'm from Israel. I'm circumcised. I'm everything right. This is my lineage. I come from good stock. And I've got to count that as loss compared to Christ. Those are distinguishing markers. For him, they were a sense of pride. Paul moved them to the loss category. Also, he had to count his religious accomplishments as a loss. And Paul had a lot. In fact, he says, you think you got some stuff you've done? I've got more. And I count him as law. What are those accomplishments for him? He's a Pharisee. He's a top, top, top of the law understanding people. He's a Pharisee. He's a leading Pharisee at that. Um, he's zealous. He's righteous in the Jewish terms. All the external things, Paul says, I have to count as loss. Um, they were a sense of righteousness to him. Where, where do we get our righteousness? Maybe you put stock in your family heritage, third generation, I don't know. But we all put stock in our accomplishments. Maybe it's your college ministry experience, maybe it's your discipline, maybe it's the books you've read, maybe it's the mission trips you've taken, maybe it's you're the best parent around, maybe it's your uh, inner city work, maybe you're sacrificial, maybe it's the amount of money you give. There are things we do that we we add up and we count them as gain for us, as some sense of earning favor or merit or worth in our spiritual life. Our accomplishments, our theology, our performance. And Paul says this, if you have all of those externals, he just named all these external things. If you have all the externals and not Jesus, who cares? Pauline language. 
Who cares what you've done if you don't have Jesus, is what Paul says. Because you've done a lot, but I have done more. It's a loss. It's a challenge. This is a challenge because most of us don't need, uh, Dwayne confessed our, you know, helped confess our sins. Most of us don't need help with our overt, overt sins, right? You know, <laughs> we're not like, oh, I cheated on my wife. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know you weren't my wife. You know, like, oh, thanks for telling me. Right? Or, oh, I lied. That's a lie of sin. I, oh, we, we kind of know that, right? We know the overt things. But Paul's saying, this is what's tricky about it, we have to confess not the overt things, we have to confess our righteous things. Our good deeds are what we need confessing. What do you mean? I don't, that's confusing. Many of these things are good things. Why do we confess our good things? Because this is what happens. Isaiah says our righteous deeds become as filthy rags before the Lord because this is what happens with our good deeds. We take our good deeds and then we either rely on them as, as for our own standing with God, our performance with God, or we re- if we're not religious, we rely on them for our own satisfaction in life. But either way, we've put our confidence in the flesh and something else outside of Christ. And so our good things are good things, but when we rely upon them, they actually become bad things, and they keep us from the one thing, that's Jesus. That's why church is dangerous. Because you can actually come to church and miss Jesus, you know that? You can be very consistent in church, but miss the very point of church, namely Jesus himself. But I'm a good church guy, I'm there every week, I'm there twice a week, I'm faithful, I'm Filthy rags, he says. Our external deeds cannot please God enough or that they cannot make us sustainable without God. He says he counts what his gain is lost. Verse 8, indeed I count everything as loss. Everything, not, not just the gains, but everything. Paul's gains, his accomplishments got him things. They got him prestige. They got him power. They got him reputation. Probably as a leading Pharisee, they got him wealth. They got him comfort. Many of the things that we have, we, are, we gain those things. They're things we add value to. And Paul says we have to actually count them as loss as well. Every single thing as loss. That's kind of hard, isn't it? I mean, Jesus would say in Luke uh, 14, I think, if, you, you know, your father, your mother, you've got to forsake, you've got to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, everyone, right, to follow Jesus. And then he goes on right after to say, who's going to build a house or a tower? But first he must count the cost. You think, well, that's kind of harsh. I mean, our families are good things, right? Like, come on, this is hyperbole. Our jobs are good things. Our religious things can be good things. What does he mean by that? Is he, is, he, is he just trying to pull our leg? This is what I think he's trying to say. Listen here. It's not that those things are bad, but they're only not bad if Jesus is the only thing. So if Jesus is the only thing, then you can have the other things. But if Jesus is one of many things, even the better of the things, it's not good. We still count it as a gain. Does that make sense? If Jesus is a piece of the pie, even the biggest piece of the pie in our own heart and mind, it's a bad thing. It's rubbish, he says. But when Jesus is the only thing to our heart, to our devotion, then we can benefit from the other things. You follow that math? It's tricky. It's tricky. You say, well, I can have both. 
Only if this is the only thing, then you can have both. That's what he says. Because he doesn't say, he doesn't say, what I counted as gain, I now count as less important. It's not Jesus, you know, can I do this, greater than everything else, right? It's Jesus, these are all loss. We wouldn't say that, would we? I'd say Jesus is more important to me than my wife or my kids or my family. But Paul says they're loss because this thing has become such a priority for us. It's complicated. Here's one, uh, if you talk about this, you've got to get one John Piper quote. What does it mean to count everything a loss? It means that if we must choose between Christ and anything else, we choose Christ. It means that we hold all things loosely before Christ, refusing to grip them as our own. And finally, it means that if we lose all things, we will not lose our joy, our treasure, which is Christ himself. If we have to choose, we choose Christ. The things we have, we hold loosely. And if we lose everything, we still have Christ. That's what Piper says. How's your accounting? How do you do with your things, your gains? In fact, all things. How do you do with those? How do you hold them? Can you move them on the spreadsheet from the gains to the losses? It's tough to do it. It's tough to do it. We're we're to count everything as a loss. How in the world do we do that? Uh, Three things here. How How do we count as loss? First, uh, something about the process. We've got to understand the process. Paul's pastoral here, I appreciate this. This is a, a short point. Paul used the word counted three times. And uh, the first one he says, whatever I gain, I counted as lost. That's past tense. See, my English is coming in. My English background is coming in. Counted. There's this time when Paul counted all these things as gain and Jesus meant nothing. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, to add to his righteousness. And boom, he met Jesus, right? And he was knocked down, he was blinded. And at that moment, he counted everything as lost. (laughs) It's conversion. His heart was changed. He met the risen Lord and he said, oh my goodness, nothing can stand up to this. I can't see. My life is ruined except for him. And he was regenerate. It's our we call this theological justification. We're changed. Paul counted. But then in verse 8, he uses twice. He uses present tense. Indeed, I count everything as lost. It means right now, in the moment, I'm still trying to count it. I'm working hard because i got a lot of gains, and each day I'm having to move them back over to the lost category. I'm counting them as lost because of Christ. We know that because of verse 12, which is right outside of our little text here. But this is what he says in verse 12. Ryan will tell us more next week. Not that I have already obtained this. I don't have it figured out. That's good to hear, isn't it? Apostle Paul doesn't have it figured out. Like, let's take a collective deep breath. Okay. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I'm pressing on to count it as loss. His future sense. I'm, I'm continually counting it loss. How do we count it loss? First of all, it's a process. It's active, progressive. It's daily. Daily accounting. Second, how do we count it as loss? We have to know the person of Jesus. Know. K-N-O-W. We invest. We invest in Jesus. Everything a loss compared to the surpassing 
worth of Jesus, of knowing, of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Verse 10, that I might know Him. Um, my, my early Christianity, maybe it's true of yours, it was, uh, it was Christianity meant don't do certain sins. And so everything became about managing certain sins. Good Christians don't do these things, right? Bad people, non-Christians do these things. And so it was managing, and it's true of us today, we feel like it's how we're doing is how we're doing with God, how we're doing with certain sins, how we're managing, how we're resisting certain sins determines how we're doing. But the heart of Christianity and what separates it from every religion is that it's not about managing these little things, these five pillars, these little pilgrimages. All that. It's about knowing Jesus. It's turning from this, not here to neutral, but to pursue knowing Him. And think about the language, knowing, it's personal. The biblical language of knowing is a, as a man knows his wife, it's intimate, it's detailed, and he says, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Mind-boggling. We're to know the Lord. Personally knowing Yahweh, God, Creator, Redeemer, and he even uses the personal pronoun, my. He's my Lord. He's our Lord. Can you believe that? We have all these gains, sure, but when you put it up to the fact that we get to know God as personal, they're lost. Get rid of them. His surpassing worth of knowing the Lord. Mm. Sometimes we can do all the religious things. We can do all the sin management, and Jesus never even enters the picture. Is that true for you? What kind of knowing is this? It's a, it's a head knowledge. It's first a head knowledge. We know him because there, there's content about him. But what's his character? What's his nature? What did he do? What did he accomplish? Who's his father? How's he going to tell us something? What's his people like? What's, his, what's the resurrection about? Well, we need to know substance, so we pursue knowing it's not going to stay in the head, but it, it, it begins there in some sense of there's content. We know Him. We pursue Him. I, and I surpassing worth of knowing Him. I want to know Him, Paul says. It's not just head knowledge. It's also an experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge. Look at verse 10. That I might know Him. I want to know Him. And the power of His resurrection some of you over the last two weeks have heard like all these lists of things to do and these performance things and you're like, I don't really struggle with legalism, you know. <laughs> the whole law thing, I'm kind of like, I was done with that a long time ago. I'm kind of over here in the license thing, you know. I got grace, I'm living it up, it's whatever, Jesus loves me, he's my homeboy or whatever, whatever we say. I don't, I don't worry about that, but here's the deal. When you know him, then you know the power of the resurrection. You know what the power of the resurrection does? It's that power that helps us overcome sin. It's the power that helps us fight sin. It's the power that moves us out into relationships to love, to do the things God's called us to do. So it's not just this, um, we're against legalism, we're actually against licentiousness, because when you really know the real Jesus, the Lord, your heart is changed and you want to obey, you want the things of God, you want to follow Him. You hunger 
for him. You know the power. It's also experiential, and this is, this is hard fought. You know him in the fellowship, the sharing in his sufferings. You read that? You see that? That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Did you read that? What does that mean? Um, how many of you have gone through something really difficult and you've said something like this afterwards? You know, it was the hardest thing I've ever experienced. I, I thought it was going to kill me. And then, but some way, in some weird way, Jesus was sweeter or more real. Like, I connected to him in a way that I've never connected. Anybody ever said that? I, I, I remember, I've told you all this, my dad died 16, almost 17 years ago. It's still painful. Um, I can't explain it other than this explains it. Um, in those moments, there was a, a, a nearness, a closeness of Jesus to me that I've never experienced. Seminary, Bible reading, Bible studies. In that moment, in that brokenness, in that suffering, he was real. He was known in a way I could never have known him. The word shared there is the word koinonia. We normally translate it as fellowship. There is a fellowship. When we suffer, somehow in our sufferings, we get to partner we get to share in his sufferings in a weird way. And so in that deep place, we actually enter into the death of Christ, becoming like him in his death, it says. I wrestled, I'll just tell you, I wrestled with this all week, this, this end of the passage. I didn't, I didn't know what, I couldn't get at it. I kept reading commentaries and praying. Like, what is this about? It, 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 he reverses the order. He says, you may know the power of the resurrection that you may share in his sufferings. It should be the other way around. Jesus suffers, and then he's resurrected, right? But when Paul talks about knowing him, he says, we know his power, and then we suffer. And I thought, well, what's the difference? How does this work? I don't know the math. And I read, and I read, and I read, and I prayed, and then I realized it's koinonia. How did Jesus suffer? Where was the fellowship in his suffering? Who partnered with him in his suffering? Who said, let me carry it with you? Nobody. He suffered alone. He suffered rejection. His even best friends left him. We even sing, his father turned his face away. You still have to wrestle with that theologically, what that means. He suffered alone and then was resurrected. We have resurrection power by knowing the surpassing worth of him, and then we suffer, but not alone. You see the difference? That changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. I couldn't have made it 16 years ago. You can't make it through your struggles. You can't get through your hard times by yourself. He was alone. He is with you forever in knowing him. Put a number on that. One million, ten million. What's the value of that? What's the value of knowing him in your suffering? See Paul's math? He's all <laughs> incalculable. This last phrase here says uh, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection. I thought earlier, like, well, by any means possible, does that mean I, 
I have to do something to earn the resurrection? Well, no, that, that counter, counteracts everything he said. It, it, the rest of it, basically what it means is that uh, I know the fellowship of Christ, that whatever I may go through, we're just saying it, whatever my lot is, I may obtain the resurrection. I will endure, I will go through whatever, because I know Christ, that I may attain the resurrection. It's worth it, is what he's saying. Application, pursue knowing Jesus. Pursue Him. Pursue Him in your head to understand His Word. Pursue Him to know the power. In our suffering, we don't don't make this up. When it comes to us, cry out to Him and He will be near. Finally, finally, how do we count His loss? Um, We rest in His righteousness. This will be short. We rest in His righteousness. I've already said this, the whole passage about this, but I I felt like I needed to end on this because it's so important. Paul emphasizes this. Verse 3, he said, you can't, don't put confidence in the flesh. If we put confidence in the flesh, we can't count it as loss. And we can't count it as loss if we don't rest in his righteousness. Do you see that? To not put confidence in the flesh is the only way we can count it as loss. And the only way we can count it as loss is if we put our hope in his righteousness. Verse 9. Really the summary verse of the passage. Into verse 8. That I, may, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith, found in Him. That's the phrase. Found in Him. Paul says it throughout his letters. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Forget everything else. In Christ. It's all lost in Christ. Because we're found uh, some of y'all kept up with that article, that young lady, um, that young lady, Amanda Eller. Uh, I, I, I followed this a couple months ago. She was the young lady that was hiking in Hawaii. Did you see this? She was in Maui, and she got, uh, she was in one of the forests, and she takes a normal couple-mile couple trail, and uh, her couple-mile trail ended up a 17-day journey of being lost in the deep forest. <laughs> The the New York Times article was interesting because she kept saying, I have good instincts, I have good instincts. But her instincts kept taking her not closer to her car, but further and further and further away in the depths. And this wasn't someone out of shape. She was a fitness instructor. She was a PT. She was athletic. She knew the trail. And she suffered so many things. As she tried to figure out, she broke her leg. She started eating insects and moths to try to stay alive. She did everything she could. She strove for everything to be found. And then she said, then the helicopter came over the hills, and he saw me, and I was found. Uh, It was ironic, because all her best efforts, all her righteous good works, led her further and further and further away from rescue, and she couldn't do anything, and everything she tried, she threw everything at it, she broke her leg, tore a meniscus, I can sympathize, she did everything, she had to be found. Paul says, I've done all these things, I've got an impeccable resume, but I was lost. And my own striving was moving me away. And he had to come. Jesus had to come and find me. To pursue me. 
to go to great lengths to find us. And he did. And that's the gospel. And that's Paul's point. And when we believe this kind of gospel, when we believe we're found in him, the gain category, it's loss. It's loss. We, 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 there's no scales. There's no quantifying. He is better. Christ Redeemer, I, I pray that we would know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we...